welcome to the Upper Perkiomen Community Church Podcast. Join us on Sundays at 258 Main Street, East Greenville, Pennsylvania. Refreshments at 9 a.m. Worship gathering at 9.30 a.m. Or visit us online at upcconline.org. Please sit back and enjoy our teaching time now with lead pastor, John Buckley. Take your Bibles, please, and turn with me to Matthew chapter number two. We just started right before Christmas our new series on Matthew. We're going with the theme of following me, learning to live like Jesus. And this whole book is really going to be about that. As a church, going through a gospel is something I'm pretty excited about. Um, every, ch- every book we've gone into, God's used it in different ways. Um, as I've started to read through it, I encourage you to do that. Start reading through Matthew. Start grabbing some of the nuggets that are there, and you're going to see the themes that are there, and it's going to be uh, even more exciting for you as you do that yourself. You can also, if you'd like to, turn to one of the Bibles in front of you to page 1026. Um, we also have the U version. If you, uh, you want to use that to get under the events section underneath the more, um, you'll see our outline laid out there for the sermon if you'd like to follow along there um, also. Let's pray. God, as we... Now go to your word. We're thankful for the preparations that have already been made. Thankful for a time to be called back to remembrance of what this really is all about, that we have a relationship with you, God. I pray for those that are here today that have never gone from death to life, that have never come to that point of accepting you as Christ and the Lord of their own life personally. I pray that today would be that day, God. We pray even now as our As our uh, child, 242 Church, gathers um, this evening, Lord, and as they make preparations even this afternoon, and we pray, Lord, for the space that they're looking to rent, that you would open that up if it be your will. We're grateful, Lord, for other churches in the valley and beyond that today gather to worship you. And above all, Lord, we just want to see your cause, your kingdom expanded, God. Help us as we dig into Matthew for a number of weeks, Lord, and months, that it'll be a challenging time for us as we learn more and watch the steps that you took on this earth, Lord, that we can learn from, the principles, the practices, and the lessons that are there. In your precious name, amen. I've entitled today's message, How Would You Respond? How Would You Respond? Now, when I was a youth pastor, if you were to ask any of the old teenagers that were in the youth group, uh, in fact, this past Friday night, we got together with a couple that had worked with us with our youth staff when I was at Faith in Sellersville, and uh, she goes, there's two things I remember that you said a lot. And one of them is, that I would say to the teenagers all the time, you have to get out of your comfort zone. Now, I've said that as a pastor as well of adults, but that was one of those situations where teens and adults do the same, where it's so easy to get into our little comfort area, whatever we're comfortable with. Um, we like our comfortable chairs. People like to get home and get into their comfortable clothing. Um, we like to have our comfort foods. We have our comfortable traditions. We really like comfort. We're all about comfort in many ways as Christians in America. We don't suffer a lot of the difficulties and struggles and challenges that our brothers and sisters around the world do. And so when we have uncomfortable situations occur, a lot of times we don't even know quite how to handle that. Now, they can happen at a church setting. I do remember early on in our days when our air conditioning went out, 
and I'll never forget, I'm pretty sure it was Becky Flood who was great with child at the time, and she came up the stairs, and uh, she was ready, and it was hot, and uh, it was a difficult time. Was that, do you remember that, Becky, or not? Was it you? No, you don't remember which one? It was, then it was just, it left you, was that... Maybe it wasn't you, but I remember, and it was like, oh, man, it was, it was difficult. It was very, unco- and everybody, we had the windows up just to let more hot air in. It was uncomfortable. When we first started the church, before we got the seats, which fortunately was early on into things, but we had wooden straight back ch- chairs that were in here. Can you imagine going through services that way still today? We would all be a little bit uncomfortable in, in that. In fact, we teased because we had a bunch of like old office chairs and we teased about having the comfortable office chairs in the front row to make sure everybody that wanted to get the good seats had to sit up front. You can be in uncomfortable situations when it comes to dealing with people. If I ask some of you to come with me and to go down to Philadelphia and hand out sandwiches and blankets to the homeless, that would be really uncomfortable for a lot of people here. We don't naturally put ourselves in uncomfortable situations. And how we respond in those is very interesting. Sometimes when we're in situations we don't plan, we can just kind of clam up. Sometimes we like hide behind the other person. Uh, Sometimes we are situations where we get louder, we talk because we're uncomfortable and we feel like we have to make jokes or, or get the attention off me somehow. Now as we enter into this passage, it's really interesting to see how different individuals responded to something that was gonna rock their world. Because they were kind of going along the way. In the back of their minds, they still knew about this Messiah that might come. But they were in in kind of a rut that they thought that if that was going to take place, it really would have already. And if it was going to take place, it was going to be in this, you know, parade of of power and military might. And that Jesus was going to show up. This Messiah was going to show up. And he was going to have these soldiers behind him. And the Roman government would be toppled. And victory would be theirs. And the Jewish nation would be established again. But it certainly didn't look like that was any time in the near future. The Roman government's um, foot was on their neck in a tight way. The situation seemed very dire. And then Jesus came. And by the way, when Jesus comes, it changes everything. It changed it in this time, but it changes it as we talk about life today. If you remember back, to the time that you first came to know Christ as your personal savior. That changes everything. Now, I realize a lot of times we don't remember if you're younger, the exact moments, but it changed your life course. And as we look at Matthew 2, we're gonna see a few different individuals and how they responded to this amazing situation that would literally change the course of mankind. Look with me, if you would, to chapter 2 and verse number 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. So we're going to start, first of all, talking about the individual that we're first going to see. And I encourage you today as you do this to ask yourself a question. Are there character qualities and individuals that we talk about today that best resonate with you? Maybe in a shameful, disappointing way and maybe in an exciting way as you look at the way they responded to Christ. The first individual we run across is right there in the first phrase, and it was the man who had the most to lose. His name was Herod. Now, as the story unfolds, you have the king of Israel who's on the scene. Now, you have to realize that Herod, the king, wasn't the kind of king that we think of a lot of times when we read the Old Testament. 
The Old Testament kings, many of them were more what we would consider nowadays warlords. They had tribes or cities they oversaw. They didn't necessarily see these vast kingdoms that we think of with some of those medieval stories that we read about or, or that we watch on TV. So they were much smaller. But in this situation in particular, King Herod was subservient to the Roman government. He was a puppet in many ways. He had some limited authority, but everything had to be stamped by the Roman government. He couldn't come up with laws that went against the Roman government. He couldn't come up with traditions that went against the Roman government or any kind of decrees that went against the Roman government or he would have been removed from power. He was there simply because they allowed him to be there. And we see this, that he came as a fraud. He came as a fraud. Now, how do we know that? Well, because Herod, if you remember anything about the New Testament, you're gonna remember this. The Israelites were really, really, really big on pure bloodlines. You're gonna see that over and over again. Paul, even as he describes himself, says, I am a Jew of the Jews. I was on the Sanhedrin. I have Jewish blood running through me from my toe to the top of my head. It was a big deal for you to be a pure Jew. They would literally walk around the, the uh, territory of Samaria, in fact, rather than go through it because it was known as the territory of the mixed breeds. Maybe Jewish and Phoenician, or Jewish and Philistine, or Jewish and some other nation. It's a big deal. Now, Herod, his father was, or he was from the line of the Edomites. The Edomites, if you remember from the Old Testament, those are those that came from the line of Esau, Jacob and Esau, which wasn't the pure line of the Jews, but Herod's father turned his family into following and became a Judaizer or, a, or a embraced the Judaistic way of life for the most part. And Herod's father had a real strong in with the Caesar and that's how come King Herod became King Herod. So always you're gonna see with Herod that he's trying to prove himself. He's trying to make sure that other people know that he really should be in this spot that he really should be the one that should be king because he knew many people doubted him because he wasn't Jewish and doubted him because he wasn't really a king because of what the Jewish, excuse me, the Roman government had established. Now we also see here, as we go down into verse number two, um, well, let's, let's finish verse one. In, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men in the east came to Jerusalem, saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it arose, and have come to worship him. Now, verse three is very interesting. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. See, he wasn't just troubled, all Jerusalem was. And you can see that King Herod still had influence, and what he did is he cooled down the people's passion and desire to follow Jehovah God alone. They were worried this cart was gonna get upset. Now, King Herod's concern of it had nothing to do with the, uh, the fact that they weren't following Jehovah God anymore. King Herod was always worried about himself. King Herod built a temple, uh, rebuilt the temple we see in history. Why? Not because he was a committed Jew. It was because he wanted the Jews to say, yeah, you are a legitimate king. The people, though, they lost hope. And they were concerned that if a new king popped onto the scene, if something new was going to upset the apple cart, so to speak, that they were going to have more oppression on them. And King Herod had created this pseudo, you know, Ju Judaistic type of a religious system with no heart behind it. 
There was no power. There was no king praying to Jehovah God. There was no king calling the people to worship him the way that it had been done in the years past. And there was a cooling down of the spiritual temperature in all of the land of Israel. And Herod led that. And it always reminds me when I think about that of the people that we influence. What is the spiritual temperature in your home, moms and dads? Hey, kids, what's the spiritual temperature of you among your siblings or in the classes that you're a part of, in the groups that you're connected with? What, what kind of spiritual temperature in the areas that we have in effect, how are we influencing people for Jesus Christ? You all have somebody that you're influencing. Some of you had many somebodies that you're influencing. But you have the ability to live a life that can either exemplify Christ in what you say and do, or you can minimize. You can be Christian in name only, so to speak. And you see the ability that Herod had to cool the people down spiritually. We also know that he was led by selfishness, and that's gonna be uncovered here very vividly. That Herod was all about Herod. Now, again, if we're honest, all of us can at least strike a chord with that part of Herod's life. It's so easy to be selfish. It's so easy to be about my pleasure and what I want and the things that I want to accomplish. And it can very easily become only about me and I forget or I don't want to do anything that's uncomfortable where I might have to sacrifice for somebody else. It's hard sometimes just to say I was wrong. It's hard to reconnect a relationship that was broken. It's hard to go and, and to be involved in some conflict that might take place or a necessary when we should be communicating and we wall that off. Those are difficult situations that we can find ourselves in. But we see that, that Herod was definitely led by selfishness. And the last thing that you'll notice about Herod, which again we'll uncover in this passage, is he pursued his plan. And by the way, we all have a plan. Now, if you're a Christian, your plan needs to be submitted to God's plan. But that doesn't mean we always like it when it's submitted to God's plan. And when we think of even UPCC, my plan was not 11 years ago, if you would ask me if I was gonna plan a church, the answer would have been no. But God decided to plan a church and God decided to use me. And I bet you if a lot of you that are here would have been asked, and 10 years ago, nine years ago, eight years ago, seven years ago, would you be a member committed and a part of UPCC? Many of you would have thought, I never would have saw myself here. But God's brought us all together for a purpose and for a plan. And we can have our plans, but always remember this, they always have to be submitted to God's ultimate plan for our life. And are we willing to really embrace that? Not endure it, embrace it. Because God's plan isn't easy peasy. It's not all about unicorns and fairy tales. God's plan can be hard and difficult and trying and painful and could even break us at times. But the great thing about God's plan is he's always there with us and he has an ultimate plan that's gonna bring him honor and glory no matter what takes place. And are we willing to submit to that? Herod was not. Herod was about one person and one person only, and that was Herod. And my question to all of us is, who is that number one in your life? Don't tell me by just your attitudes and your actions, but what in your heart even would reveal that? The next set of people that we're going to be talking about as we continue down here is the men with the farthest to go, the wise men. 
We see that if we go back up again to chapter 2 and verse 1. So we see that Herod was there when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod. And behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he <coughs> Excuse me, who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it arose and have come to worship him. Now, these men were from the east. A lot of speculation is made about the wise men. A lot of things that we hear about. Any manger scene, including the one the church has, has only three wise men. Now, I, I would like to think we mainly do that for convenience sake. Can you imagine having 42 wise men? <laughs> that would be the same with the shepherds. Usually there's one shepherd. There was a whole lot more than one shepherd that came to see Jesus. They're more symbolic. But why do we always think there's three wise men? Because there's three gifts, right? No, more than likely, there was a caravan that came. You didn't travel by yourself or even in threes, especially with money in those days. There were many roads. They did not have um, patrolled properly by the official authorities, the Roman government's armies. There was marauders and bands of thieves and all kinds of tribes you could interact with. So when you traveled, you traveled understanding it might be a while before you find water and food, but you also traveled knowing more than likely trouble was going to come. But we know these wise men that were from the east, we don't know how long exactly, their speculation made again, because when Jesus was born and he was at that age and when Herod killed the children, they were all around two, so was it two years travel? Again, a lot of speculation, but we do know this, they traveled a ways. Otherwise they would have said, hey, the wise men from, and they would have listed a province that most of the people would go, oh, yeah, well that's only two provinces over, that's only one country over, sure, that's not that far to go. They were from the east. They were a ways away, and they followed this star. Now, you think about that for a minute. They had to be convinced that there was something worth traveling for. You don't just get a bunch of guys together and go, hey, we're going to invest a whole lot of money, time and energy, and risk to go travel because this star popped up that we don't quite understand. Hey, let's go on a road trip. No, not in those days. There was a purpose and a plan. And they traveled, they were confident that they were going to see Christ. Now, we don't know if that's simply because they had older, um, older sections of scripture that they had studied. We really don't know much about their religious background, but we do know that they were coming to find the Christ child. That's what motivated them. And we're going to see here as we go down, well, let's continue on in verse, verse number three we read, verse number four, and assembling all the chief priests, this was Herod, and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and this is in Isaiah, and you, I'm sorry, Malachi, uh, Malachi I believe, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of, of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you found him bring, him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when the place where the child was, when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. See, these men that had so far to go, they came with a purpose, and that was to worship him. 
They didn't come and pull out their scrolls and go, hey, we got to validate this. Is he really the Christ child? They saw the star and they saw it stop and they went. And when they went in, they knew immediately. I don't know how, but they knew immediately this is Jesus. And what was their response to Jesus? Worship. Worshiping a baby? Knowing, knowing it purely by faith and some research? That's a big ask. Traveling miles, taking time, worrying about bandits and, and, and dangers that were there and, and weather situations. And they did all that. Why? So they could worship Jesus. And I'll have to admit that it convicts me when I think about how comfortable I like things sometimes even to worship Jesus. I want to be in the right chair and at the right time and when I'm in the right frame of mind and all these things can certainly enhance, but do I get so caught up in that that I forget that it's really still just about worshiping Jesus? And what is worshiping Jesus? It's giving him praise, him glory, him adoration, acknowledging who he is and asking him to work in my life to say, Lord, lead me and to guide me that I'm all yours and I want to be used by you. Please help us to be better worshipers of our Savior. And that truth that they saw brought them joy. It says there was exceeding joy, like overflowing joy, like giddy joy. You know, certain people, when they're so excited and they, they get all giddy, as we call it, they just don't know how to control themselves. Now, the rest of us that watch people when they're that way, we just laugh at them because it looks funny. You see YouTube videos of those. But these guys, these <clears throat> wise men, were so excited about this that they were just jumping. They, were, they couldn't even contain the enthusiasm that they had. Why? Because the truth that they finally saw with their eyes, that they traveled by faith, was true. If you're a child of God, don't worry about being happy. Because many times we're not going to be happy. Our circumstances can be really hard, as I mentioned. But joy comes as a result of a relationship with Christ, not in the circumstances around my life. Did you catch that? When we look at just being happy and contented based upon our circumstances and that all of our relationships are just a certain way and our finances are a certain way and our health is a certain way, we are so going to so flit this way and that with whether or not it can be a reality in our life. But joy can be in my heart when I'm on a sick bed. Joy can be in my heart when my family is struggling. Joy can be in my heart when I have negative in my checking account. Why? Because it's about my relationship with Christ and what that brings because I know that this is a journey I'm on and that my hope and my joy is in Christ, not in my situations. And I can rejoice because I'm on a journey, but the great thing is I'm passing through and someday, someday, whether by the rapture or by my death, I'll open my eyes and I will see the fulfillment of that joy in coming face to face with Christ. Joy. The truth brought them joy. The third thing we see about these men who had the farthest to go is they chose to worship him. They chose to worship him. And you and I all have a choice. Now, some of you children here are saying, I did not have a choice to be here today. I understand that. <clears throat> I've had children in similar situations. Some of you spouses might say, I didn't have a choice to be here, but that's a whole other discussion. 
But ultimately, in your heart of hearts, you're choosing whether or not you're here today to come and worship the one that brings joy. You're deciding whether or not you're gonna worship Christ. And by the way, this is a worship service. This isn't all the worship we do this week. Good conversations are a way to worship God. Singing songs are a way to worship God. Getting in the word individually is a way to worship God. Enjoying God's creation is a way to worship God. They're all different opportunities and aspects to worship him. But again, worshiping him is making sure that he is preeminent. He is the one that we point all of our focus and attention on. And everything else is just how we do it. But he's ultimately the one that we're focusing on. They chose to worship him. Have you chosen to worship Christ? Why are you here today? What did your week look like in relationship to worshiping God? Did you have some great God-centered conversations? Did you get in the word? Did you pray? Did you thank him for the creation that he made? Did you acknowledge his presence even in your pain? Those are all ways that we can, we can choose to worship him. And the last thing I think that we note about this group of wise men is they listened to God. God obviously directed them. God knew he wanted them a part of this story, and they listened to him. In listening to him, they had to give up comfort and convenience where they lived. They had to sacrifice time and money and talents because they had to travel. They had to deal with fears that came with traveling and the question of when we get there, will he really be there? The faith challenge. They dealt with lots of different challenges, but they still chose to listen to what God had for him, for them. And by the way, I completely understand when you come up and you know God's directing you and you say in your humanity, I don't know that I can do this. This is, this is gonna be really hard. Lord, you want me to forgive that person? Do you know what they did to me? And that's why I love that God is the one that gives us the grace to forgive when our limited humanity can't. See, God puts you in situations, and if we listen to him, although it won't always be easy, sometimes it will, it'll always be the right thing, and you'll always be rewarded for that with a conscience that's clear and knowing that you pleased the Father. They listen to God. You know what I hate most is when I'm reading the Bible <clears throat> and I'm reading along and it's a story I've read before and then all of a sudden God takes something out of the story and hits me between the eyes with it. I mean, it's not even related to the story sometimes. I'll read along and something will happen about a conflict and God will bring somebody's name to mind and go, hey, you need to make that right with that person. That person's not even in the Bible, God. Why would you bring that to my mind? His name isn't Abathar, his name is, you know, whatever. And God has this unique way of taking his word as you go along and he knows what to bring into our minds to go, and now what am I gonna do with it? He has a way of putting people on your heart and mind. Now, I've heard many of you say this. I, when God puts people on my mind, I've learned this. If God puts somebody in your mind, then reach out to them. Why are we so afraid to do that? Has anybody actually texted you back ever when you've reached out to them or answered the phone and go, why are you calling me? I've never had that happen to me before. Now, I sometimes go, why are you calling me? Like, is everything okay? But well, I've never had somebody text me back and go, leave me, well, I shouldn't say that. I've had people tell me, leave them alone. So I, that would be a lie, I apologize. But when you're saying you're praying for them, I've never had somebody say that to me before. So when God prompts you to do something, just do it. 
And if you're like, well, I'm not sure if it's the Lord doing it, I'm telling you, if it's an opportunity and God puts it on you, then just do it. Now, I've been amazed how many times I've done it and God uses that encouragement, that verse, that prayer at just the right time. Is that because John Buckley has some sort of sense? Absolutely not. It's about being obedient. And by the way, those are the easy things to do. But if you can be obedient in the easy stuff, it makes it a lot easier to do it when it's the hard stuff. Because I don't know what God has you to do. But if we're obedient and following him, you're going to know that you were listening to God. Now, I want to jump back up a few verses. I know we're kind of, the way that I laid out the outline isn't exactly in the passage, laid out in the passage verse by verse. But I want to go up a couple verses to verse number four again. And the men with the best reason to go. The men who had the best reason to go and worship God were the religious religious priests and leaders. Look with me in verse number four. Chapter two and verse four. Go back up there. And assembling all the chief priests, Herod did this, chief priests and scribes of the people, all the religious guys, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and he gave them the Old Testament passage. Now these guys, they had the knowledge. And and by the way, this was religious leaders that should have known how important it was to be guiding the people regardless of the king They should have been following Jehovah God, but instead, you know what? They served a fraud. They served a fraud. They weren't leading the people in the way of God. They were following after and making sure they submitted to Herod, who submitted to the Roman government. They lived under this this fear situation. But they had knowledge on how to find the Christ child. Herod calls him in, and they don't go, well, I don't know, Herod. You know, let us take a few weeks and work on this, and maybe we can figure out an answer. They're like, oh, no, here's what it says. Da-da-da-da, and they brought him to the passage. We know it's going to happen. They had the knowledge. Now, as we get in the Word, as we listen to preaching, as we get into conversations, don't just be knowledgeable about Christ and the Bible. Just saying that you read through the Bible isn't enough Are we living the Bible? Are we embracing the Bible? Are we obeying the Bible? You can have lots of head knowledge. I know people that know the Bible probably better than me that aren't Christians. It's scary, but they look at this purely as a book of facts, figures, and fantasies. Now, folks, this is either the Word of God or it isn't. And if it's the Word of God, then it can't just be academic for us. There's power in this. There's promises in this. There's directives in this that we don't get to pick and choose then that we have to be obedient to. So they had knowledge of him, but you know what? They had no passion to follow him. Why had they given up? I don't have any idea what it's like to live in an oppressive government like they had to with Rome. I don't. So I don't want to judge too harshly, but for whatever reason, they had no passion. They had the knowledge, but no passion to do anything with it. They weren't making an impact in their people. How do we know this? Because even the people of Jerusalem, as we said in verse number three, even the people of Jerusalem were like, oh man, we're, we're anxious about this too. Not, he's coming. This, this is the Christ child. They weren't excited. They weren't eager, falling over themselves. They were the ones that had the best reason to go, but they had no passion, <clears throat> excuse me, to follow him. They were satisfied with knowledge alone. Too many people are okay with just knowing the Bible. 
Don't you love it when people know the Bible just enough to argue with you? To try to prove you wrong? I got to work in a rescue mission a few times in Illinois, Rockford. One verse that every person that was an alcoholic knew is, take a little wine for your stomach's sake. That's in the King James, by the way. It's funny how we can know certain verses to defend our causes, our situations, our pet sins even. But what about the times the word of God, as if a hand reached out of it and grabbed our shirt and shook us? How many times do we respond to those things that are there? See, they were satisfied with knowledge alone. Now we see in verse 7, I just want to bring a couple more points out of this. We see in verse 7 that Herod summoned the wise men secretly, which we read, and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. Now, it doesn't say, it doesn't unpack that here for us. But again, Herod's all about himself. And so he sent him to Bethlehem, and this is where we see his deception again and his selfishness, saying, go search diligently for the child. And when you found him, bring me word that I may come and worship him. Herod had no desire or inkling to go and worship. He was lying. And again, that's one of those that strikes me and goes, are there times that I lie to be able to get my way? It's just one of those thoughts that God hit me that I need to make sure I'm keeping a close eye on in my life. That I'm not motivated to misuse people even to be able to get my causes met and my desires satisfied. He says, I want to worship in verse 9. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, we read this part, love this though, the star that they'd seen when it rose went before him, and it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy, and going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh, And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. We see them listen again to God when God said to them in a dream, hey, don't go back to Herod. They didn't go, hey, we must have just had a bad dream. We need to go back to Herod. No, they went the other way because God had spoken to them, which lets you know that they were in the practice of being obedient and sensitive to God's leading in their life. And they went a different way. Now, we could really unpack those gifts, and if you want to see any scholars talk about why each gift represented each thing, there's lots of good speculation out there. We do know that more than likely these gifts were given because they needed money to live on because of the, tour, the journey they were going to be on, and they could get a lot of money from the different items they have. We don't know exactly how much from this passage was given there, but these gifts that were given were going to be able to be used by them, and the big point from here is these were the kinds of gifts that you would give to a king to a king, which acknowledged again where their heart was in this. I have a couple questions I want you to think about this week. Do you find that you respond to Jesus like Herod or the priests, and I should even say on there, or the religious or the wise men? How do we respond to Jesus? We're in a new decade. And new decades, new years are a good time to reflect And as Ray even mentioned, 2019 probably brought to some of you one of the roughest years you've had. Others of you, it might have been one of the best years that you had, and none of us know what 2020 will be like. At the end of 2020, there will be some that are here today that won't be here at the end of 2020. They may not be in our church. They might not be living on this earth any longer. We don't know what a year is going to bring. 
But I can tell you this. The choices we make today will determine the course of our life. And one of the big ones is how are we going to respond to Jesus? Now, if you're a Christian, the first obvious thing to say is, am I willing then to be obedient to the word of God this year? Some of you know God's been prompting you to do something uncomfortable, and you've just got to do it. And are you willing to finally take that step, knowing God's not going to drop you? He's not going to let you go or, or somehow crush you. His intention isn't to debilitate you, but to grow you and use you in ways that will honor him. For some of you here, you're dealing with some deep hurts that you really need to take time to heal from this year. And you need to make sure that you remember part of that is body life as part of that journey on there. For some of you, it needs to be a year of getting back in the word or maybe getting in the word, prayer, getting together with a small group of people to really be challenged and encouraged, as the Bible says, to grow in him. These are all things that are laid out in scripture for us. And the question is, when you heard Herod and you heard about the religious leaders and you hear about the wise men, who did you associate with and how will God use that in your life this, week, this year? The second question I want you to chew on is, how can you grow in your passion for God's truth this year? How can you grow in your passion, this burning desire to know God's truth better? I mean, folks, one of the things that I think we gotta really ask ourselves about that I, I, an area I think we get way too comfortable in is we know that God's word tells us we're supposed to be sharing the gospel with others. And I, I, I fear that many of us, we are debilitated by fear in the society in which we live and we don't have those gospel conversations anymore. And you're like, Pastor John, I'm not sure what to do or how to do it. I'm telling you, you pray about it and you ask God to bring the people into your life that need it and make you attuned to it, he's gonna do it. Don't limit what God can have you do. But a lot of times we're not even aware of it. Why? Because we're so selfish and we're so committed to what we wanna do, to do the things that we're desiring to do in our busy lives that we set up to be busy, by the way, <laughs> that we don't have time to be passionate about God's truth. And I guarantee you, God will probably have you involved in some stuff that you didn't choose off the checklist but I can also guarantee you that he will never lead you where he doesn't walk with you. You will never be alone. And then here's a last question. Where do you wanna grow in 2020? Do you wanna grow in your desire and your ability and, and your interactions with the non-believing that they might come to know Christ? Do you need to grow in your prayer life? Do you need to grow in the word? Do you need to grow in connection with other believers here? Where do you need to grow? And then the big question is, and what are you gonna to do to make it happen? Majority of New Year's resolutions fail within the first month. I think we all know statistics like that. I'm not asking you to make a resolution for 2020. I'm asking you to look at your life and ask the Lord where he wants you to grow and change and become more like him so that he can help you to accomplish that. And we as a church are here to assist you on that journey in any way. Never let the devil whisper in your ear. They don't care. They're not there. We're here to walk with you on this journey because we want to see you succeed in Christ. Let's pray.